Let's go ahead and pray, and, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you again for this time that we can come into your presence, Lord, and look into your word and, and just see truly what you have done for us, Lord, through the person and work of Jesus Christ and by the power of your spirit. Father, you are truly glorious in all that you do as we sang today that how great thou art, Father, and that is so true, and I pray that that is the song of our souls, not only today, but every day, Lord, as we wake up and we think of you, that we would think of your greatness and of your glory and of your holiness, and that we would be your children that would live in such a way. So now, Father, I just pray that you would be with those today, Lord, who are hurting, whose backs are hurting. Lord, I, I think of Mike Rahaley. Father, I pray for quick healing for him, that he would be back, Lord. I pray for Debbie Ames, Father, as she has broken her arm and her kneecap and she's in pain, Lord. I pray that you would get the doctor back from vacation, that they could get the, the surgery done quickly. Father, pray for those who are hurting in here, Lord. Pray that you would take the pain from Dwayne's back, Lord, that you would touch him and heal him. Father, pray for all of us that are emotionally struggling, Lord, that we would find our joy in you. Father, maybe physically struggling, that you would also touch our bodies, Lord, and heal us. Lord, we all need much prayer. But Father, how sweet it is to be in such a body that we can pray for each other even from this pulpit Lord we thank you for all of this and ask that your son would be seen and glorified now amen okay so last week we talked about a tough topic some of you weren't here last week does anybody remember what the topic was last week okay total depravity right radical depravity last week so last week what we saw last week was how the Bible describes how we are dead, right? And we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And that word dead is a corpse. That's what essentially what we are. We're a, a corpse. And if we look at a corpse, a corpse can't respond to anything. Even if you went to the morgue and you said hi to the corpse, the corpse is not going to say hi back. If it does, I would be scared. So, but most likely it's not going to respond. And so that is how the Bible describes the fall of Adam as a complete fall, not a partial fall. It's a complete fall. It's a fall that not only brought a spiritual death because we saw where they hid from God after they had sinned. They didn't run after God. And we see where it was a physical death where in chapter five we see then and they died and they died and they died to the point of where God takes Noah and every thought and intention of man was continually wicked in Genesis 6-5. So that is what we see. So I left us with a question last week. And the question I left with last week was, is if you're a corpse and you're dead, how did you respond to God? That was the question I left with last week. In chapter 6 of John, Jesus says that no one can come to me. Notice it didn't say no one can will themselves to me. It says no one can come to me because we're dead. 
So this is what we're going to look at today. Why did we respond? How does a spiritually dead person come to Christ? So this is where our salvation gets absolutely glorious. Now, the Bible does talk about our responsibility, right? It does talk about our responsibility. Uh, Paul says in Philippians, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our, responsi our responsibility. And then he says, but it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it's God working in us, right? So through the Bible, we see this God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. So in the Bible, we do see that when the gospel message is preached, when the gospel message is preached of Christ dying on the cross, Christ dying for your sin, Christ being that substitutionary atonement, when we do that, there is a response. We are to believe, repent, and be baptized. The Bible does tell us that. These are things we are supposed to do. Listen to Acts 2, 38 and 39. This is after Peter had preached his sermon. It says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we see that you to repent and you to be baptized is a direct result of what? Of God calling you to himself. This is where we get this sovereign love. The reason you respond is because of God's choice of you. This is why we respond. This in the Bible is called election, right? It's called unconditional election because of the fact that there's nothing you and I do to merit salvation. Why? Because we're dead, right? Paul in Chapter 2 last week we looked out of Ephesians says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are the object of God's wrath. So we see that this is why we respond. Now, let's look at the Bible, right? Because we can get into some kind of things like, oh, well, you know, that violates my free will. Well, yes, it does. And God's not afraid to do it. I'm sorry to tell you that, but he's not. But what we see in the Bible is we see God's choosing throughout the Bible, right? We see it. Just think about it. We see Noah and his family. How come God only saved eight? Well, that wasn't fair to everybody else, was it? No, but God chose eight. We never have a problem with that, right? We read uh, Genesis 6, 7, and 8, and we're like going, wow, man, those guys must have been really bad, right? But God chooses eight to save. He chooses Abraham. He chooses Isaac. He chooses Jacob. He chose King David. He chooses Jeremiah the prophet. He chooses Isaiah the prophet. He chooses all the prophets. He chooses the 12 disciples. Judas was chosen as the son of perdition. He was the one that was marked out before the beginning of time to betray Jesus. And he chose Paul. We see that in Acts as Saul was on his way to put Christians in jail. So what this then does is this brings us to Romans 9. 
So Roman, Romans 9 gives us the most detailed description of election in the Bible. And we're just going to scratch it just carefully here. So if you're there, read with me from verses 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 16. And this is what it says. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not who all are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So let's stop right there real quick, right? This is what Paul is saying, that not, not all who are de descended from Israel, right, uh, national Israel, physical Israel, belong to spiritual Israel. So he's making a distinction between Israels. Okay, we have to make that clear, right? So that's what he's saying. Let's pick it back up. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But though Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. There's our text. That's a text that hopefully, Lord willing, I would like to go through Romans that we will spend some time in. But let's look at it really quick, okay? First of all, we see that the gospel has not failed, right? The gospel has not failed. Romans 9, 6 says, but it is not though the word of God has failed, right? So God's word does not fail. It never returns to him void because not all of Israel believed. Right? Just because you were circumcised didn't mean that you were a believer. It just means that you were part of Israel. You were part of the Jewish nation. That's what set you apart, was your circumcision. But not all of them were believers. So the word of God didn't fail. It wasn't that the word of God didn't have power to save. So that's what Paul starts off with. And secondly, we see this. There's three generations of election. There's three generations of elections we see in here. <clears throat> the first generation we see is Abraham. And if we look at Abraham, Abraham was an idol worshiper at first. He was from Ur, and he was an idol worshiper. Listen to Joshua 24, 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your father lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. So we see that at the beginning, Abraham served other gods. He was an idol worshiper. And then God calls him out of Ur to follow him. He chooses him to come out of Ur. Notice he didn't take everybody out of Ur to follow him. He chooses Abraham. And listen to Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You see that? Now the Lord said to him, go from your country. He's plucking him out of his country. He's plucking him out of his idol worship. Is this because 
Abraham had some marvelous thing in his thoughts and said, hey, maybe I should follow the true God. No, God picks Abraham. God picks him. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So the, so the Jewish person would know that their religion started with God's election, the call of Abraham. Every Jewish person would know that. So we see election right in Abraham. Secondly, we see the next generation is Isaac. We see Isaac. Abraham had two sons, right? One was Ishmael, one was Isaac. One was from Hagar, one was from Sarah. This is what we have. Now, why did God choose Isaac and not Ishmael? Well, we read in the Romans passage, 9, 7 through 9, this is what we read. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But though Isaac shall be your offspring, be named. This means that it is the children of the flesh who are, this, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offsprings. It is Isaac, the promised one, not Ishmael, right? Ishmael was of the flesh. Isaac was of the promise. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. So we see that Isaac is the child of promise. Now let's look at Isaac. Why is Isaac such this promise? Because Isaac's birth was a supernatural birth. Right? Isaac's birth was a supernatural birth because both Sarah and Abraham were past the years of having children. So it was a supernatural work of God that Isaac came about. Picture it this way. It would be like my mom and dad having a baby in our times, right? That would be supernatural because only God could do that kind of work. So think about your spiritual birth, right? Think about your spiritual birth. Isn't it not supernatural? When you were saved, when the Lord saved you, <coughs> isn't it a supernatural event? Because you're dead and you're brought to life. This is supernatural. This is why our salvation is so glorious. Because we had nothing to do with it. It was sovereign love. That's what it was. This is what Boyce writes. He said, it is the same with our spiritual conception and new birth. Our spiritual conception, which is the outworking of God's electing choice, is likewise supernatural. So just like Isaac's birth was supernatural, our spiritual birth was supernatural. Because we're dead. This is the key. The key is understanding that we're dead. And this is what God does. Now we begin to see all the work that God does in us, right? How great thou art. How great are your deeds. We sing it. Look at your salvation. You've been brought from death to life. So just in case we aren't convinced yet of God's election, let's look at Jacob. Let's look up Jacob. Does anybody know what Jacob's name means? Right, deceiver, heel catcher, right? Right, so he chooses this, you know, we see Jacob, right? So let's look at Jacob, because he's an interesting character in this passage, right? But we see God's election very clearly here, right? We have to pay attention to this. Okay, look at, we're, we're going to look at 9, 11, 12, and 13. 
So he goes in and he says, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So we can look at this and say, well, hold on a minute, Mark. You know, uh, they were twins, right? They were. They were, but Jacob came first. Or Esau came first, sorry. Because Jacob had a hold of his heel, right? So Esau came first. But God says, for my purpose of election, Esau will serve Jacob. See, that was kind of weird in the Jewish tradition, right? Because it was always the older one that got the blessing. But God says, no, not, this is my choice, Jacob, not Esau. And it's staggering, right? Because this is what we see. We see Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Wow, I thought God was all love. So there's a lot of things that can come in chapter 9. That's what I'm saying. We're only, we're only hitting some of these things. But let's look at it. Notice a few things in the passage, right? First of all, God's election was they weren't born yet right? Neither one of them were born, right? Secondly, neither one had done good or bad. Neither one, of us, neither one of them did good or bad. And thirdly, it wasn't of works, but it was because of God's calling. It was because of God's election, right? Think about ours, right? Think about Ephesians. We're going to read Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 1. Think about that. You were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world, that's what Paul says, that we were chosen before the foundations of the world. So you know what that means? We weren't born yet, and God had chosen us. Right? You know what that also means? It means that neither one of us had done any good or bad, and God chose us. And it also means that it wasn't of our works, but it was because God called us. It's the same thing for us, brothers and sisters. God works the same way. Therefore, election cannot be on the basis of anything done by us. Our salvation is nothing done by us. Now, I don't want to discount that maybe you said a prayer. Maybe you walked down an aisle. Maybe you raised your hand. I walked down an aisle. I remember at the, at the what is it, the Baptist church? At the Baptist church in Sparks, I walked down the aisle. I don't want to discount any of that, brothers and sisters. But the question I ask is, why did you raise your hand? Why did you say the prayer? And why did you walk down the aisle? Did you have faith before you did that? Or did you have faith after you did that? Well, I got news for you. In order for you to say a prayer to God, you got to have faith already. So God gives you that faith. He brings you to life. So listen to some of these passages. We're going to read through some of these passages as we look at it. So first of all, I want us to look at these passages that our election is, not, is dependent on God's mercy. We have to see that it's dependent on God's mercy. Romans 9, 15, and 16. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on the human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it didn't depend on us raising our hand. It didn't depend on us walking down the aisle. It didn't depend on us saying a prayer. But what it depended on was God's mercy on you. Take this individually. It's God's mercy on you. Not on your spouse, not on your kids, but on you. This is why your salvation is glorious. Because it's God's mercy on you. 
He says in Titus 3, 5, He saved us, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. This is to the 12. That you should go and bear fruit that you that your fruit should abide. Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as as many were appointed or elected or chosen to eternal life believed. Romans 11, 5 and 6. So to you at this present time, there is a remnant, what? Chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, this is what I just said. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. But we are also always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, belief in the truth. That's it. Oh, oh, but I forgot the question. Oh, God has foreknowledge. Right? We got that verse. God's got foreknowledge. That word means foreloved when you look at it in the Greek. It does not mean this. It does not mean that our salvation is conditional. See, here's conditions. That God looked down the corridor of time and he saw who would have faith and so he chose them. Because we already saw last week it's impossible for you to have faith as a dead corpse. Because if God looked down the corridor and see who would chose him, he would see nobody. Because nobody would choose God. So get that out of your mind now, that God had this foreknowledge that he knew who was going to choose him. No, the reason we respond is because he chose us. We have to get that. It is not a conditional salvation based on us having faith. No, it's an unconditional salvation based upon God doing all the work. So how did we get here? Well, here's how we get here. Why are you sitting here today? Why did you raise your hand? Why did you respond? Right? Here comes the glory. This is why. Because God drew you to himself. That's the first thing we look at. God drew you to himself. Listen to John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him God was the one who drew you that word can also mean drag <laughs> that's what I thought was funny it can also mean drag that God drew you but God draws you to himself listen to what he says about Israel in Hosea 11:4. I led them with cords of kindness with the bands of love and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and I bent down to them and fed them. This is what he does to us. This is what he does to us. When he opens our eyes to the beauty of the gospel, what's he do? He leads us with cords of kindness and these bands of love. This is how he drew you. Because that's what you see, right? When God opens your eyes to the gospel, you see the love of God on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. You see his mercy on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. You see the compassion on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. So this is what he does. He draws us with cords of loving kindness to Christ. 
He draws us. Jesus says this in John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Jesus doesn't lose us. You can't lose your salvation, brothers and sisters, because it's in Christ. You can't lose it. You can't lose it. Secondly, God grants us to come to Christ. He draws us and he grants us. John 6, 65. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. This word granted means to bestow upon. So God bestows it on us that we get to come to Christ. It is his work. It's his work. He draws us. He grants us. Now, why do we respond? Because he makes us alive. That's what he does. He takes a dead person and he brings us to life. This is what Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We should all know that verse. God does what? He made us alive even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I love how Paul does that, right? He makes you alive. You were dead. He makes you alive. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. Because of his great love. Never let these verses become uh, normal. Never let them become normal. We should always be amazed at them. <coughs> Colossians 2.13 And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. If you sit here today and you're a believer, you are more alive than you've ever been because God has made you alive. He has made you alive. How does he do this? By the Spirit's working, by the Holy Spirit. It's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us brand new. Titus 3, 5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration means a spiritual renovation, a rebirth, being made brand new. That's regeneration. We are made brand new. Why did you raise your hand? Why did you say the prayer? Why did you walk down the aisle? Because the Holy Spirit was already doing the regenerating work in you. That's why we respond. Because the Holy Spirit is doing the work in us already. Not because we're smarter than somebody else. Not because we're better looking than somebody else. But because the Holy Spirit is doing the regenerating work on us because God has set his sovereign love on you and I. That is why we respond. It's a glorious salvation, isn't it? Because it is nothing of us. It is nothing of us. This regeneration, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is how he does it, brothers and sisters. He draws you, he grants us, he makes us alive, because what happens is the Holy Spirit does all this work. And this is why we respond to the gospel. 
because he does all the work because of his sovereign love and his choosing him us. So, how should this doctrine affect us? How should this doctrine of election affect us? This is the first thing it should do. This doctrine is humbling. It's a humbling doctrine. Why is it humbling? Because we understand that God's electing love was not based on anything we did, anything we said, how we look, how we walk, any deeds done in righteousness that we thought of. This is why it's humbling. Because God took a dead corpse and made it alive. We had nothing to do with it. So we are the least of the ones to boast. We are the ones who are to be humbled by it. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. There's not going to be anyone up in heaven saying, hey, guess what I did to be saved? Right? Nobody's going to be up there saying that. All of us are going to be, in Revelation it says that they surround what? The throne. That's where we're going to be looking. That's why we're saved. I got news for you. The Reformed Baptists are not going to be in the front. The Reformed Presbyterians are not going to be in the front. It's humbling. It should humble us to know that there was no worth in us. It was God loving us. That's what it was. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of the works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling. Brothers, not many of us were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord this is where we are we can only boast and boast in the Lord that is it so the first thing we see of this how it affects us is that it's humbling secondly it gives us deeper worship it gives us deeper worship think about the truths of election God Almighty has set his affections upon you and I our worship should be fantastic we should not be the frozen chosen we should be those who are alive to God because he chose us it affects our worship this doctrine of election his choice of us it gives us a deeper sense of worship and it spurs us on to evangelism now here comes the argument well you know if God's already chosen why do I need to evangelize it's a good question. You need to evangelize because Jesus commands us to evangelize. 
But how freeing is election in our evangelism? That means we do not have to change the message. We don't have to bring the message of the gospel in such a way that we need to convince somebody. No, we preach the pureness of the gospel and we let God do what he wants to do with his gospel. If that person is chosen, if he is appointed, if God has picked him from the beginning of time, they will respond. We don't need to make it something it's not. We need to just simply come and say, you are a sinner in need of a savior and God has provided that in Jesus Christ. Repent, believe, and be baptized. And then you let God do the work on the heart. If they choose to ignore the message, it's God who has not opened their eyes. But you be faithful to evangelize. Spurgeon said that if we knew that all the elect had a yellow strip down their back, we'd run around lifting up everybody's shirt to see which one had a yellow strip. So we'd know who to evangelize to. But we don't. So we evangelize. It affects our evangelism because it sets us free in our evangelism. And finally, it's a refuge of hope. It's a refuge of hope, our election is. God's eternal choice is not determined by one's sinfulness or lack thereof. It is not based on man's actions, thoughts, feelings, or choices. God alone decides the elect. Brothers and sisters, if you sit here today and you're saved, you're one of the elect. You're the bride of Christ. Christ has chosen you. God has drawn you. He has granted you, and he has made you alive. Let's worship him as he deserves to be worshipped. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this beautiful doctrine of election. Lord, I thank you, and I pray that others here thank you, that, Father, you did a work in us, that you brought us from death to life, and now that all that awaits us is eternal life. Father, may we be humbled by this. May we worship you deeper for this. Father, may we tell others of Christ more boldly and confidently. And may we set our hope upon this election.